I'm Kate Watson. Squeeze the Election, the podcast, is your shortcut to the federal election. Each week, we'll give you the talking points on the policy, the politics, the gaffes, and why it all matters. The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast where your shortcut to being informed. Welcome to our second of five pop-up podcasts to mark the end of each week of the federal election campaign. I'm joined by Claire Kimball, who Squizzes will know from our daily podcast, and Greg Baxter, a media and public affairs pro. The two of you have pulled together the Squiz the Election email three days this week. It's a bit of a weird one with all the the public holidays, Greg. Look, I think everyone's uh, pleased that the week's out of the way. It's a truncated week with Mm. Easter and Anzac Day. Uh, a tricky time to sort of try and get any traction with major policies and henceforth neither of the major parties announced any. Well, yeah, Claire, you've written in the squeeze, the election email that the campaign will truly begin next week, you reckon? Sunday into Monday, it looks like they're going to get their real serious campaign pants on and it'll all be on. In today's podcast, we'll talk through Adani, Clive Palmer, where the leader's policy focus has been. We'll talk about preferences. We'll take a look at some of the key battleground seats and stay to the end as I stretch Greg and Claire's expertise in a game of who said it. This will also ensure you're across some of the gaffes and missteps. Claire, Bill Shorten spent the majority of the week in Queensland. He reinforced Labor's position that they would look to reverse decreases in penalty rates if elected. He also announced $1.5 billion worth of funding to go towards pipelines to unlock gas resources in the Northern Territory and inland Queensland. As expected, however, there was plenty of talk about the Adani coal mine. Let's step through the basics. Adani is an Indian-owned mining company. The mine is set to be built in the Galilee Basin, which is west of Rockhampton. And if complete, it will be the largest in Australia. Claire, can you explain the political significance of Adani? It's a coal mine, so that's probably the first thing to note, Mm. as you've said, and of course with uh, activism around climate change at the moment and coal having a part in that debate, it's certainly not very popular when it comes to anyone living really outside of that immediate area. If you live in the immediate area, though, it's something that has been quite well received because of the jobs impact and the investment that it brings to the area. So that's really the basics of it. And with all of that, why? Has it become such a big problem for Bill Shorten this week? Well, it's become a, a problem for Shorten because he hasn't really uh, put his colours to the mast or Labor's colours to the mast about what their level of support for it is. He's really, really, I think, as Greg wrote through the week, straddling a, a barbed wire fence and that's a very uncomfortable place to be, particularly when he spent a good part of the week in that area. And, of course, Scott Morrison and the Coalition have said unequivocally they do support the building of the mine. Greg, this takes us to Scott Morrison. He's announced a $1 billion fund to help create 250,000 new small businesses over the next five years. That's a clear pitch to the coalition's traditional small business constituency and, of course, keeps the focus on the management of the economy. That's what they want to be talking about. However, this was somewhat overshadowed by what is being dubbed our Watergate. In the words of another Polly, please explain. Yes. Well, the Murray-Darling scheme has been controversial really from the beginning. The scheme is designed essentially to ensure that there's adequate water for irrigation and there's adequate water to keep the river system alive. And it allows for the government to purchase water from farmers uh, if they have more than they need and and the river system uh, needs more than it has. Barnaby Joyce came under fire uh, last week Uh, over revelations that in 2017, when he was the Deputy Prime Minister and Agriculture Minister, 
he approved an $80 million buyback of water using taxpayer money uh, that went to a company uh, that booked a $52 million profit on the deal and it's registered in a tax haven of the Cayman Islands. The energy minister, Angus Taylor, co-founded the company, but he says, and I don't think anyone is disputing this, that he had no involvement in that deal and, in fact, has had no involvement in that company since he entered parliament. So the deal came back to life uh, on Twitter in a big way last week under the hashtag Watergate uh, that named Taylor. And, of course, Barnaby Joyce uh, weighed into this debate. In attempting to hose it down, he made the story much bigger in what I think is generally regarded as quite a chaotic and colourful interview that he did with Patricia Carvellis on ABC Radio National. Yes, the interview of the campaign so far, I'd say. Indeed. And, and Labor's and Labor's obviously called for a major judicial, judicial inquiry, which would have the sort of coercive powers, as they're called, which would allow them to demand documents and witnesses to to appear before it in in much the same way that would happen at a royal commission. What has Scott Morrison said? Well, Morrison says very clearly that um, Barnaby Joyce acted on the advice of the department, that he approved right. the deal uh, on an arm's length basis. He had no uh, role in determining the price that was paid for the water um, and he had no role in any of the other sort of mechanics or details of that deal or investigated uh, the company's um, headquarters in, you know, the fact that they're headquartered in the Cayman Islands. And Claire, would you say this is a a problem for the Nats given the result in the New South Wales election? They certainly didn't poll well in the New South Wales election, that's for sure. And of course, with the drought um, really putting a lot of pressure on farmers and a lot of concern and anger out there about their futures, it's no wonder that the incumbent major parties are under pressure to really provide answers about what they're going to do to provide support for farmers. So um, I guess it'll be interesting to see it's one of those things, those rural seats that are really affected by this river plan issue, um, whether that actually bites at the election. And of course, as we've said, it was a disrupted week this week with Easter Monday and Anzac Day, so not a lot of large policy announcements, though Scott Morrison was in the NT talking veterans and announcing $95 million for an NT health plan. Bill Shorten had a bit to say about health also whilst in Cairns, as well as announcing a $190 million package for regional tourism. If you want to deep dive on some of those policy announcements, make sure you have a look in your episode notes. We've got a link to the archive versions of the Squiz the election email. Let's tackle preferences now. If squizzes are reading about the campaign, about the election, it'll come up time and time again. Claire, give us a a quick rundown. What is preferential voting? What does it mean when we hear commentators say that preferences are flowing this way, that way, here and there? (laughs) Preferential voting, it's one of those unique things really to Australia, although others have adopted variations of it. But Australia has a bit of a record of uh, innovation in elections. So this is definitely one of them. Pretty much the essence of it is is you need to rank the candidates on the ballot paper in order of your choice. The reason for that is the idea is that you get uh, a candidate who ultimately wins who has the most support in the community, not necessarily the first past the post or, you know, in those raw numbers, the one who wins, but definitely when it comes to looking at all of the kind of preferences support in the community, they're the one who are the most preferred. So when we say two-party preferred, that means the result after preferences and the primary vote is the number of first preference votes, so number ones beside names on a ballot paper. Exactly right. 
And on the ballot paper, one thing that happened this week was the ballot draw. That's what determines where a candidate will be placed on a ballot paper. Oh, Greg, take us through the ballot draw. Have you ever seen anything so antiquated? Well, I thought I had when I when I remember thinking back to the lotto draw on black and white television, but I think this this was probably even more antiquated than that. So picture a couple of people in a room with a wire basket that spins on its axis in which there are a bunch of balls with numbers on them. And a person with a blindfold extracts those balls from the basket, and that's the order in which the candidates will appear on the ballot paper. Now, the reason that this is actually um, uh, slightly more interesting than than it than it sounds is there's there's that thing called the donkey vote. Yes, I was going to ask you about the donkey yeah. vote. So some people will simply write down one, two, three, four, five, six on their ballot paper, regardless of uh, of the candidates. They just number uh, sequentially uh, and that and they consider that they voted. Now, donkey votes are estimated to account for about 1%, maybe a little bit more than 1% of, um, of votes in any given electorate. But you can see that in a, in, a, in a highly marginal seat, they could end up being quite important. Yeah, and a, a seat that's a good example of that is the seat of Herbert, which takes in most of Townsville. It was won by the Labor Party in 2016 by only 37 votes. Yes, it's it's really an ultra-marginal seat, and that's why we're, we're seeing the two leaders spend so much time there. Uh, the Adani thing is obviously front and centre in that electorate. Uh, it's going to be uh, closely watched and hard fought over for the next for the next three weeks. And, of course, it's the seat where Clive Palmer teased us for almost a year that he was going to put his hand up and run as a candidate for Herbert. But as we know, that's now not the case. He's going to run as a Senate candidate. But it's certainly been ground zero for the United Australia Party's campaign. That's actually a really good segue to talk about Clive Palmer. He's been in the news a lot this week and will continue over the weekend. A lot of talk about his... $30 $30 million worth of advertising so far reports he still has about $20 million more up his sleeve. But, Claire, it's the news poll by the Australian newspaper out this week that has chins wagging. What um, has happened is that out of really it seems a, a big surprise, uh, news poll put some numbers against exactly the support that the United Australia Party seems to be getting. Uh, it's, of course, a new party this election. Clive Palmer ran uh, with some candidates in 2013, but that all disbanded. So for a new party to be able to be getting the level of support it seems that it is, particularly in some really key marginal seats, uh, it looks like they're going to be in a position to really have a big influence on this election. Yeah, time will tell as to whether that political advertising does work. And just before we finish with Clive Palmer, looks like he will be doing a deal with the Liberal Party on preferences. Yeah, and this is where we get into the dark arts of elections. It's the backroom deals that are being done. It's the ones where the power brokers from the parties come together and really try and get those preferences coming their way. Um, Liberals, it seems, and the LNP, particularly in Queensland, it seems have done some sort of deal with Clive Palmer and the United Australia Party to be preferenced ahead of Labor. Uh, We'll know more about that next week when apparently an official announcement will be made. So practically what that means is when you're handed um, a how-to-vote card by the Liberal Party or the, the LNP in Queensland as you walk in to vote, they will recommend that you vote for the UAP um, above 
the Labor Party. That's right. The question that remains, though, which you'll remember we finished the 45th Parliament on a bit of a uh, roll with Pauline Hanson and One Nation and uh, what One Nation does with their preferences really is another big question that will be a piece of that puzzle, particularly in Queensland. Moving on to the section of the podcast we call Who Said It? This is where I read out a quote from the week and Claire and Greg need to tell me who said it and the context in which it was said. Of course, they have no... Buzzers ready. (laughs) Buzzers ready. (laughs) They have no idea what I'm about to throw at them. Are we ready? Okay. Yes, ready. Yeah, nah, get up, terrible week for drowning or life-saving references, poor taste, nothing funny about drowning. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) nah. I reckon that could have been almost anybody in the country. <laughs> True. <laughs> Justin Scar, that's the CEO of Royal Life Saving Society. Ah, uh, okay. Because I was going to say, if it, like, if it was Tony Abbott, who, of course, the ads were aimed at, it would have been a bit more of a drawl around the yeah. Nah. But no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, of course, lifesavers were very offended, it seems, and uh, as were um, pretty much everyone across the political spectrum about those ads that get up. We're going to show uh, featuring Tony Abbott as a onion-eating lifesaver sitting on a beach waiting for someone to drown because he just couldn't be bothered doing anything about it all right well done knew the context kind of i mean you knew what you knew the context (laughs) but that was a that was a tough one that was a tough one you'll get this one i'm pretty sure already buzzers are ready it was great to run into julie who i have a lot of respect for and her partner (laughs) david is like myself a second generation (laughs) peninsula person yes greg well that's got to be julia banks hasn't it uh who bumped into julie bumped into her her, i think uh, accidentally Amazing. Accidentally on purpose at a at a coffee shop Just on the incredible. morning peninsula. Yes, Julia Banks uh, left the Liberal Party and is running as an independent against Greg Hunt in the seat of Flinders. So some eyebrows raised over those two having a coffee. Uh, finally, I could be a, called a pimp too because I'm living off the earnings of my wife at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> You Claire. have a buzzer, Claire. I mean, Claire, where have you gone this week? Honestly, uh, that's um, that's Warren Mundine, who that's is Warren a liberal, Mundine, liberal candidate for Gilmore on the south coast of that's um, right. South Wales. Interesting that um, yes, it's uh, an interesting pitch to voters that that's his current occupation. He's unemployed as well. I miss I missed that part out of the quote, but that was yeah, it. that's right, yeah. an unemployed slash pimp. Yeah, vote for me, and not because he made those statements. That is definitely a seat to watch in this uh, election. It's going to be very tight, very I'm sure tight. We'll be talking more about Gilmore in the in the coming weeks. There's more drama there than home and away. Thank you for tuning in to Squeeze the Election, the podcast. If you found it useful, you might like to sign up to our daily Squeeze the Election email. It comes out Sunday to Thursday at 5.30pm and sums up the day that was on the campaign trail. A link to subscribe is in your episode notes. We'll be back next Friday with our third edition of this pop-up podcast. If you like it, please let others know. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email. Tell people, talk to people, tell people about it. Thanks, Claire and Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Until next week. The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Sign up at thesqueeze.com.au. A quick message now from our podcast partner, 
BHP. Across the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to Squizzers about BHP and the work they're doing to provide the materials that we need to transition to a low emission economy for the energy transition. At the start of the podcast, you heard how copper is used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. So when it comes to producing it, reducing emissions is a priority. And that's why BHP is making solar, wind and battery deals to help power their South Australian Olympic dam copper mine. It's happening now at BHP. Thank you.